This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, August 19th. I'm Rachel Delgidis. And I'm Virginia Allen. With many schools across the country kicking off the year online, parents are trying to find a way to manage their full-time jobs with their children's education. Jenny Clark, founder of Love Your School and Cottage School Life, is a mom and has personal experience creating an education pod in her community. Clark joins the show to share her practical knowledge of how to create an education pod. Also, we invite you to take five minutes to complete the Daily Signal podcast survey. We want to take your feedback into consideration. So at the end of the show, head to dailysignal.com slash survey. Again, that's dailysignal.com slash survey to give us your input. And don't forget, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a review or a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe. Now, on to our top news. The state of California has had its first round of electrical blackouts in 19 years. Political reports that the precise culprit behind the blackouts is not yet certain, but experts are laying blame on inadequate transmission, increased demands, and too much dependence on renewable energy and natural gas during hot weather. Michael Bora, director of Stanford University's Climate and Energy Program and a member of California's catastrophic Wildfire Cost and Recovery Commission, said via Politico, What's weird about what happened is that they were adequate until they weren't. It seems as if certain power plants for some reason were not able to deliver on the commitments to supply reserves and also supply energy. The fifth and final volume of the Senate Intelligence Committee's report on Russia's interference in the 2016 presidential election was released Tuesday. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, the acting chairman of the committee, said in a written statement that after three years, review of over 1 million pages of documents and conducting over 200 interviews with witnesses, we can say without any hesitation that the committee found absolutely no evidence that then-candidate Donald Trump or his campaign colluded with the Russian government to meddle in the 2016 election. What the Intelligence Committee did find, according to Rubio's statement, is irrefutable evidence of Russian meddling. He continued saying, and we discovered deeply troubling actions taken by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, particularly their acceptance and willingness to rely on the Steele dossier without verifying its methodology or sourcing. The dossier the FBI relied on so heavily during its investigation, which was authored by ex-British intelligence agent Christopher Steele, was not reviewed properly for accuracy and credibility, according to the Intelligence Committee. The FBI gave the Steele dossier unjustified credence based on an incomplete understanding of Steele's past reporting record the report says. Rubio and the committee warned that Russia's attempt to interfere in the 2016 election should serve as a warning for the 2020 election. President Trump pardoned women's rights icon Susan B. Anthony on Tuesday for her conviction in 1873 for voting illegally in the 1872 presidential election that re-elected Ulysses S. Grant. Anthony was fined $100. Trump said on Tuesday, later today, I will be signing a full and complete pardon for Susan B. Anthony. She was never pardoned. What took so long? Women dominate the United States. I think we can say that very strongly, Trump said to laughter via The Hill. 
As of Tuesday, 18 states have agreed to take the additional unemployment benefits offered by President Trump. The CARES Act, passed by Congress earlier this year, provided an extra $600 a week to almost any American who had lost his or her job because of the pandemic. Once the provision expired, Trump signed an executive order to give $400 a week to those who are still unemployed, with $300 coming from the federal government and 100 from the state where that individual resides. California Governor Gavin Newsom is one of the 18 governors who has agreed to take the deal, commenting, as I say, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves has rejected the deal, saying it's too expensive, and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, the only other governor to turn the funds down, says her state does not need the money. South Dakota's economy, having never been shut down, has recovered nearly 80% of our job losses, Nome said at the end of last week. And the governor added, South Dakota is open for business. That applies to our business owners and their employees. It's a critical time in our nation's history. Now more than ever at The Daily Signal, we're committed to equipping you with the best information and insight we possibly can. And to do that, we need your help. By sharing your thoughts and suggestions through our five-minute online survey, you can help The Daily Signal improve our reporting and reach more Americans with the message of freedom. Find the five-minute survey at dailysignal.com survey. Again, that's dailysignal.com survey. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Jenny Clark about how she created an education pod and how you can as well. We are so pleased to be joined by Jenny Clark, founder of Love Your School and Cottage School Life. Jenny, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you're a mom uh, and you have taken such bold and really creative steps and such a a bold approach, rather, uh, to education. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. But I want to begin just by hearing a little bit of who you are, your passion about education, uh, and, and your kids. How many kids do you have and what are their ages? Yes, so I am a mom of five here in Phoenix, Arizona. I have a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 10-year-old. So we have a lot of fun here, and things are, of course, very busy in our home uh, when it comes to education. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So fun. But you were exploring alternatives to traditional K-12 education even you know long before a pandemic. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you came to be so passionate about the field of education and such an advocate for what I'll call kind of like out of the box schooling? Absolutely. So this all really started for our family when we discovered a little over three years ago that our two oldest sons had learning disabilities. So one of our kids um, from a very young age had some developmental things, and he was in an early intervention program, which, of course, they have in every state, and a lot of families might be familiar with that. Um, But we didn't know that our two oldest kids had dyslexia and dysgraphia. So about three years ago, we got these evaluations, and we were, you know, at our local school district, and they said, yes, your kids qualify, you know, for these services. But unfortunately, we don't have any programs that will help remediate dyslexia in our entire school district. And I remember that meeting, which I know many parents have also been in those types of IEP meetings, 
sitting there going, wait, how are you supposed to help my kids? We don't know what to do. And we left that meeting realizing that it was really going to be on us as parents to figure out how we could help our kids. So thankfully in Arizona, we have an amazing program called the Arizona Empowerment Scholarship Account Program. So after we started remediating our kids' dyslexia ourselves, and we did an online charter school for a brief period of time, our kids qualified for this ESA scholarship. And we started right around that same time a really fun education pod with three other families. This year, actually, will be our third year doing this education pod. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great time and wonderful families and our kids absolutely love it. So, yeah, basically three years ago, we started kind of on this pod journey, and it's really neat to see that there's this growing interest um, as families have been, you know, thrust into the situation of trying to reevaluate how they can help their children. They're looking into education pods, too. So we've been very fortunate to be in a situation where we've had these experiences, and now we're really excited to help other families. So that term pod, for anyone who might not be familiar with it, can you just explain what exactly an, an education pod is? Absolutely. So there's lots of different terms that are being used right now. Some people may previously have used the term co-op um, or like a small type group, but pod is kind of the term I think that's kind of been solidified in the last couple of months as a result of coronavirus. And essentially, it is a group or gathering of children um, whose ages vary. So we're talking, you know, not just like a third grade classroom where you have kids that are all about the same age. A pod can be children from the same family or different families, uh, usually smaller, three to four families, and ranging in ages. So in our particular pod, we have the four families. We have kids ages 2 to 11, and we're kind of on the larger side, um, but I think it's manageable for us since we're going into our third year, as I mentioned. We have about 16 kids in our pod right now. So let's go back to that very first year. You're thinking about starting a pod. How did you actually go about talking with other families and saying, hey, this is something we want to do. Would you be interested too? Uh, such a great question. Yeah. So we kind of share with other families uh, a three-step process. We say it's create, connect, and contribute. So the first thing that I would suggest that families do is create a list of things that you need for your child and what you'd like to see in a pod. Uh, so what subjects does your child need taught? Or is it mostly just supervising, you know, their online schoolwork? How many days a week do you want for your family and how many hours per day? The neat thing about a pod is the flexibility. So you don't have to, you know, go every single day of the week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. You can say, hey, for our family and for our work and life situation, we only need a pod on Tuesday and Thursdays, and we only need it from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and these are the subjects that we need. We encourage that first step because once you do that, then you're not going to get stuck doing what some other pod is doing or engaging in something that really isn't the best fit for your family. So step one is always create a list of what works and what is best for your family. And then if you can't find a pod that already exists, 
you can draw people into your pod by saying this is what we're going to do and this is what we're going to offer. A quick little side note on that too, Virginia, we're actually going to be starting a second education pod with uh, three different families teaching different subjects than our first pod. And that's just coming about this year. We basically said, hey, we've got some other friends. They're interested in doing world history and civics. We're not currently doing that in this other pod, and we love those subjects. So let's pot up and let's do these other subjects just one day a week for three hours. And then we approached, myself and one other mom, approached other families and said, this is what we're doing. Would you like to join? So that's always step one. Step two, as I mentioned, is connect. And after you know what you want, you just begin kind of what I already mentioned, looking for other families, talking to other families, posting on your Facebook page, your faith groups, other groups that you're involved in, and sharing with them what you're doing and, and reaching out and letting them know so that they can join your pod or so that you can join one that's already kind of in existence. Just the last point is just contribute. And so we just really encourage parents to be upfront about what their strengths are and what they can offer to an education pod. So uh, in our situation, and I've shared this before, I actually am not a teacher in our current education pod. So I am the administrator and facilitator. We actually meet in my home on Mondays from now it's going to be 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, I coordinate and prepare the home and all the supplies and things that the, uh, the students will need. And I also cook uh, lunch and prepare lunch for all of the moms and all of the children. And the other three uh, moms that are involved in our education pod are all amazing. One is an English professor, and she teaches our English class. The other is a nurse, and she teaches our science. Um, and then the other mom has a classical education background, and she teaches our art class. So so be upfront about what you contribute can contribute. And don't be afraid if you are not able to actually teach a class, but your skills or your gifts, you know, lie elsewhere. So let's talk about kind of two maybe different types of parents. Um, you might have parents that are, are similar to yourself and they say, yes, I, I have something that I can contribute. I have time that I can give or, you know, I can help to prepare lesson plans to really be hands on in a way. Um, and then there's the parent that might say, I have a full time job. I can't do that and I need to find a way to hire a tutor. And maybe, you know, all of the parents that I'm talking about creating a pod with are in that same situation. So what kind of advice or encouragement would you give to those parents who say, you know, maybe we can pay a tutor, but we really don't have any time ourselves to give to this pod? How can they go about finding someone who's qualified to, to help their students in their online schooling or um, kind of supplement their education in various ways. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because there are a lot of families out there where uh, the parent works or both parents work if they're in the home and they're unable to facilitate an education pod like our family has done. So in that case, families would gather together and look into hiring someone who can facilitate their pod or be the actual teacher of all the subjects in their pod. Uh, we are actually in the process through Love Your School of trying to connect those families to those educators who are interested. And to be honest, social media is one of the best places that we recommend families reach out if they're looking to hire a teacher for their education pod. I also recommend families 
uh, reach out to former educators, so former teachers that their child may have had, or um, friends who might be teachers or educators, because what we're seeing is a lot of educators going, hey, you know what, I've left this position or I'm available on these certain days and I would like to uh, make money and facilitate an education pod for a family. So here's, you know, here's what I can offer. Of course, in these types of situations, when you're talking about hiring a, uh, a teacher, the cost would then have to be split between the families that are participating. Um, sometimes, you know, if it's a five days a week, you know, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. situation, the cost might be greater. But a lot of the things that I'm seeing is that families are realizing that their child may not necessarily need to complete all of that. They may not need all that time to complete all of their normal schoolwork. So um, some families are opting for sharing childcare, maybe a certain, you know, certain days of the week, and then doing their education pod and hiring someone two to three days a week. And that's another option that families should think about um, and be flexible about, especially if you're looking to save money and cut down on costs. So practical. Thank you, Jenny. It's just great to kind of hear the, the one, two, three easy steps. Can you just talk to us for a moment about why you have become, in your three years of doing pods, why you have become so convinced that this really is a great way for children to learn and be educated? Well, I think one of the biggest things for our family is just seeing how excited and joyful our kids are about learning and about their education. Uh, as a lot of families may experience with their children, there can be a lot of anxiety about school, about school life, about friends and relationships, about how they're, you know, achieving and, and engaging in the classroom. So one advantage of pods is that a lot of that is stripped away, especially for our kids with the learning disabilities. You know, one of my children is, you know, catching up, but he's still two years behind in reading for his, you know, typical grade level. But he's okay with that. And we're okay with that. Because we're like, it's not about being at this place at this age uh, in your life and in your education. It's about your confidence and it's about uh, growing and learning and mastering a subject. And we say to our kids all the time, if you're a little bit behind a sibling or a friend, that's okay. We're here for you. This isn't a race. We want you to just love learning and love what you're doing. And we're going to be here every step of the way to guide you in that process. So that's one thing that we really love. And then another thing that I always share that might be a little bit different than what most parents are used to is the idea of mastery. So, uh, you know, with an education pod, you can really move in tandem with each individual child, even if it's like in our situation, you have 16 kids, because the kids can work in a group, but still independently on some of the things that they're working on. They can take a test you know, two or three weeks later than another child and not be considered behind. But they don't personally have to move on from a certain uh, subject, let's just say, you know, learning their timetables, right? If they're struggling, we can spend extra days and extra weeks working with them to master their timetables. And they're not going to get behind because they're on their own track. So that's just one, you know, a few things that we really love about, um, you know, our education pod and one of the things that we like to share with parents so that they can get excited and encouraged about, you know, that idea of mastery and moving along with the child as well. 
So what are maybe some of the challenges that at first you faced in creating a pod um, and, you know, in engaging your kids and the other kids that were involved, maybe some, you know, practical kind of do's and don'ts or, um, you know, learn from my mistakes kind of things? Oh, that's a good question. So definitely having uh, a leaning on more structure to begin with so that the kids get comfortable understanding kind of what the rules are, and then also establishing what you would call your education pod rules. So essentially, you know, when you're in, in our case, in a home, and kids have been into that home before, they get so excited, right? They're like running around, they want to go play outside, they want to do these things. And meanwhile, we're saying, okay, wait, we can do all those things, but we still have three classes we have to get through first. So one of the things that we implemented uh, early on was this idea of a quiet gathering time at the very beginning. So when everybody comes into the house, you know, kind of at the same time and it's kind of busy, the moms need 15 minutes to get ready and prepare everything, get into the classrooms, unpack their bags, and the kids go into the living room and we have a super large bin of books. And uh, right now I'm gathering books for uh, astronomy and space, because that's what we're doing in science this fall. And the kids will come in, and they each have to grab a book, sit down with the book in the living room, and just be in there quietly for the first 15 minutes. And of course, there's a little chatter here and there, but they get the idea. And even the younger kids who can't read will grab a book, sit down, and look through the pictures. So that really helps set this kind of calm, peaceful tone from when we first begin. And then uh, one of our moms, she comes in and does a little bit of our opening session. So it can look different for different families. Um, in our situation, we do a little bit of a welcome. We maybe sing like, you know, a school song or, you know, a holiday song, uh, depending on what's happening, you know, things that we'd like to teach the kids that they may get in a traditional classroom. Um, and then we might talk through the structure of the day. And we also do something really fun, which is presentations. So each week, a family gets to present. Any kids in the family get to present. So uh, one week, that could be, you know, this family all does violin lessons, and they each want to play a very short little violin piece or a piano piece. Um, another family might want to read a story they wrote or uh, recite some sort of poetry that they're memorizing. But the presentations are a really great time for us to teach and train our kids what it looks like to you know, present in front of other people to speak clearly, to talk about something that they're interested in. And thankfully, uh, we are able to do that uh, every um, time that we meet because of our small class size. So I guess you could think about it a little bit like show and tell. The kids just have um, more frequency and opportunity to, to share. Um, and then, of course, with the class structure, one of the things that we really encourage is giving the kids 15 minutes in between switching subjects. So for us, our classes go 30 to 45 minutes, and then we give the kids a 15-minute break to go outside, and they have to stay outside and play, and then they come back in and get settled for their next class. So those are just a few little tips that might help some families if they're thinking about doing a pod in their home or even at an off-site location. And have you found that there's a really kind of goal, practical number of, of students that just seems to work best for, for having a pod? I don't think that there's a number that works best. I think it depends on the number of families that are involved and the number and, and the location that you're meeting in. So we're kind of maxed out right now at 16 um, with our 
uh, one education pod that meets just because the size of our home. We have three separate spaces where the kids can meet. So we do one meeting essentially in the dining room, one meeting in the living room, and one meeting in the office. So those three rooms are the max for us. Um, and each of those rooms can have, you know, four to seven kids in it. So that's something to really think about is, you know, we could essentially have eight families, but we would probably be only, only be able to service, you know, two kids per family in that situation. So you can take a lot of families. It really just depends on where you're meeting, how much space you have, um, and then also how many adults are going to be able to, you know, be with the child. And do you have any practical advice for how to really kind of set up and foster that classroom environment in, in your home? You know, whether it's just taking place in the living room or maybe in, in a basement, how how do you actually kind of turn that space that maybe is you know used as a playroom or a TV room and all of a sudden now it's a classroom? So one thing I try to encourage families is to not worry about making it look too much like a traditional classroom because, of course, who has, you know, all of those amazing things that a child might have in a traditional classroom at home? And I don't want that to be a discouragement to families. But little things that you could do would be to, you know, set a tray out and on that tray have, a you know, pencils and a pencil sharpener and little things that the kids might need that they can access quickly when they're in the classroom. So we do that in two of our classrooms. We have kind of a tray with supplies and things that the kids might need. Um, but it really does feel a lot like a home. I mean, unless they're in our office, you know, where we do have a whiteboard for one of the classes and a lot of books in here and other kind of fun things like a piano. The other rooms do look like a traditional home, and that's okay because the other thing that we've noticed is that sometimes kids feel more comfortable in that environment, and they start to realize, wow, I can learn everywhere. I'm sitting, you know, on the couch at my friend's house, and my other friend's mom is walking me through something, and I'm loving this, and I'm learning, and I'm you know, looking through a book. And I think that that's a really neat thing that can happen for kids and families when they decide to do education pods is this idea of learning only happens in the classroom, you know, kind of gets, you know, expanded to learning can happen everywhere, um, no matter where I am. So um, you can definitely do practical things that the kids might need for the classroom, but don't worry if your space isn't set up or you don't have a lot of supplies because you can grow in that um, and gain things as you go. Whether it be uh, your pod or, or pods that you have, you know, watched friends and, and others create, are there maybe one or two specific things that you can say, you know, every successful pod has this? That's a great question. I would say that every successful pod has families who are committed to helping their, ch their children learn no matter what the environment looks like. And that, I think, is really the key to success. Um, I don't think it's about money or how much money a parent has for a pod or the home or the location of where the pods meet. All of those things are secondary. It's really just about the parents and the family saying, you know what, we're going to do this. We're all about it. Um, you know, we love you, son and daughter, and thank you, you know, so much for being willing to try this and be flexible. And we're going to be here every step of the way um, to, you know, adjust and, you know, address your concerns and help you in this process. And, and that, again, doesn't mean that the parent is necessarily the one that's there 
every day with the child, but it's the mindset, right, of, of a parent to say, we're going to be with you every step of the way, and we're going to help, you know, help you with whatever you need. And that's, that's the mindset I think that a lot of parents might have, even if their child is attending a traditional school. So hopefully that encourages parents to realize that there isn't anything super specific or super special that you need to have or do in order to start an education pod. Quite frankly, you can just do it and <laughs> just start it. <laughs> Oh, that's really encouraging to hear. So practical. Jenny, before we let you go, can you just tell us about the organization that you started, Love Your School, uh, and what resources can be found on that website? Absolutely. So Love Your School is all about celebrating school options. So we have a very fun, joyful, and exciting view of what school choice uh, offers to families. So we are all about celebrating those options, and we have our website, which is loveyourschool.org. And we also recently launched uh, a podcast this summer, too, the Love Your School podcast. And we are just talking to families and educators and tutors and people who are in the education space that realize that children are amazing and they are unique and they learn differently. And we want them to be in whatever educational environment works for them. But if parents don't know what those options are, they can't choose them. And so we talk all about district schools, charter schools, private schools, online, homeschool, empowerment scholarships, um, all these different types of choices so that families can go, okay, I know now what my options are, and now I can choose what works best for my child. You know, we find, and it's shocking that so many families are completely unaware that they don't have to go only to their locally zoned district school. And so when we uh, start talking to families and we say, hey, are you looking for options? And they say, yeah, but, you know, I can't afford private school, but that's what I want for my child. We step right in and say, hey, did you know about these amazing tuition tax credit scholarships that are available to every family, you know, in our state? Here's the information. Here's how you can apply. And you know what? If you have any questions, we're here for you every step of the way. Before I, you know, even just got on to record with you today, I had another mom who I have never met who was referred to Love Your School uh, actually by a special education provider. And she said, hey, this family has a child with severe special needs, and they their child is not meeting in the classroom. Can you help them? And so that child and that family is going through the process of getting an Arizona Empowerment Scholarship right now. Um, but, yeah, they'll text me. They'll send us Facebook messages. We're, you know, here 24-7 to help families so that they can get the answers to the questions that they need for their kids. Jenny, that is incredible. I just love the the hands-on work that you're doing in your state. Um, and I know that there's so many people across the country that, that are doing similar work uh, in in almost every state. So thank you just for standing up for, for children and fighting for education opportunities. And we really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about pods and to offer parents some really, really practical tips and advice in this crazy season of life we find ourselves in. Thank you so much, Virginia. It's been a pleasure and so fun to talk with y'all. And that will do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the Daily Signal podcast. And don't forget, we need your help to continually improve your podcast experience. So please be sure to head to dailysignal.com survey, or you can click the link in today's show notes to take the five minute survey. 
Your thoughts and suggestions are critical to our work for America. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is executive produced by Kate Trinko and Rachel Del Judas. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, visit DailySignal.com.